Welcome back, everyone. Today, we are joined by Associate Professor of Chemistry and Chemical Biology within the Faculty of Science at McMaster, Dr. Jose Moran Mirabal. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Do you mind telling us a bit about yourself? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, sure. I can tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, well, I, I grew up in Mexico, uh, so I'm originally from Mexico, and I immigrated to Canada when this uh, job opportunity and McMaster came up. Um, I did my PhD at Cornell University in applied physics and working with very small materials and looking at their interactions with cells. And then here at McMaster, I am in the Department of Chemistry. I'm an analytical chemist, but still working a lot on materials. Uh, materials at very small scales and their applications to biology, um, understanding how cells respond to uh, microenvironments, as well as the development of new sensing platforms, for example, to detect pathogens or other materials that could be useful to replace fossil fuel drive materials with more environmentally sustainable materials. So at McMaster, um, I've been now nine years. Uh, I'm an associate professor, mm -hmm. uh, currently Canada Research Chair in Micro Nanostructured Materials yeah, and, uh, and teaching first year chemistry, which yeah. I really like. That's very exciting. And that all sounds really interesting, including uh, the topics you mentioned, which we'll get into um, into the interview in materials and applications to biology, um, as well as some chemistry in there as well. Yeah. Um, so just to begin, uh, would you mind explaining the focus of your research? I know that you have your own research group as well. Um, um, kind of the focus you take uh, to our audience for listeners who may not be aware. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll, I'll start with saying that we work with materials at very small scales. So if you take the width of a hair, we're typically talking about 100-fold to 1,000-fold to 10,000-fold smaller than, than that. Yeah. So they're very, very small materials. And uh, we work with these small materials because they're interesting in a couple of ways. Uh, they show different properties than the materials you experience on everyday, um, you know, handling and management. Um, but they also are at a scale that's close to the scale that's relevant for cells. And so when you start getting at the scale where now cells see these materials, not as, you know, very large objects, but as small objects that they can wrap themselves around, that they can pull on, that they can interact on, now you can start understanding a lot more of how cells behave in our body, where they encounter all these microenvironments that are uh, really what dictates how they work. And so in my group, what we work on is designing materials that we can, where we can mimic those microenvironments in the body uh, to try to understand how topography plays a role in cell behavior and, and phenotype. Um, also, how we might be able to develop new uh, sensing platforms, for example, if we want to detect a pathogen. And so all these small size materials uh, become important for a number of applications. Mm -hmm. So in my group, we work with traditional fabrication techniques where we um, make these small scale materials through photolithography and techniques that were inherited by the semiconductor industry or from the semiconductor industry, as well as new ways of making structured materials. And so one of the things that we have is we've developed this uh, approach where we shrink a substrate and by shrinking a substrate, we can induce structuring in, in, in materials. Okay. And so uh, we've used that to, again, develop sensing platforms and for microenvironment studies with cells. That's very fascinating. And especially that topic of um, microenvironments that cells interact with. Really interesting stuff. And a lot of people 
may like be interested in that subject but not know much about it so mm -hmm. i find that was a really amazing thing to read especially um we'll get into more of the substrate level research that you guys have done i had a question about that as well actually um so i know that your group has had uh, success in being able to develop a method through which you can structure thin films at the micro to nano scale level mm -hmm. as uh, you've said um, through compressive stress induced by shrinking a substrate could you explain the process of what it was like to be able to achieve this goal? Maybe, you know, some of the hurdles um, that you came across constantly or really um, any struggles or issue you ran into and how you dealt with them and um, persevered through. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, this is a process that you that you mentioned that uh, arose sort of as a, as a side project where, you know, uh, we saw these uh, toy right, called shrinkedings, uh, which is really a sheet of plastic that you can bake in the oven and it shrinks, mm -hmm. right? And so what we thought was, uh, if we put materials on top of them and we have a specific pattern, whether you know it's a maple leaf or it's anything that you want to imagine as a pattern, yeah. and then we shrink it, then that pattern will shrink, yeah. right? And so that was the first, the first iteration. We, we came up with that idea of maybe shrinking patterns and not having to use fancy uh, techniques like photolithography to mm -hmm. make structured materials. Um, but then what happens when you put something that's rigid on a substrate that's shrinking is what would happen if you take a piece of aluminum foil and you, and you compress it, right? So it wrinkles, it crumples, and it gets all these uh, structure on, on its surface. And the same thing happens when we put a thin film on a, on a surface that will shrink. The thin film is rigid enough that it will buckle, wrinkle, and then crumple. And so by doing this process of shrinking, uh, you can get really, um, you know, fine structures. And so the other thing that we found is that if you play with the thickness of that film, you can change the size of the wrinkle that you get. And so you can go from nanometer scale to micrometer scale. And so I think uh, that um, process we came up uh, with really as a side project, but then it became interesting enough that uh, a lot of our projects now are following up on that and the different applications that these structured materials might have. And I think the, the biggest challenge to uh, projects like this is really to get the students to realize that this is something that maybe happened by chance, yeah, right? Yeah. And that mm -hmm. they will have many instances in their, in their graduate career and their undergraduate career where things that happen by chance or you weren't expecting are sometimes the more exciting results, right? And where new things can come up from. for. And sure. so I think that that's something that um, in my group, at least, we try to encourage creativity and taking um, alternative approaches to traditional problems. Mm -hmm. And so uh, sometimes, you know, we work with biology and that is challenging in its own right because uh, biological systems are incredibly complex. Um, and so, you know, trying to marry the, you know, the materials that we make with some important relevant uh, systems is, is where we're looking for, you know, new ideas. Yeah, um, definitely. And it's kind of incredible to be able to hear stories like that as of like how um, you were able to achieve these certain results of due to hard work. Um, but I feel like it's beautiful to look at how it uh, was created too. So in your case, you mentioned... Um, it stemmed from just a passion of just, um, you know, observing a toy, the shrinkings and seeing what it was able to do, but how it led to not only did it spark creativity amongst um, the members of your research group and encourage them to, you know, 
focus on this and be able to achieve something greater yeah. out of just a simple observation. And I think that's kind of amazing to see, um, especially, you know, being an undergrad, um, you know, seeing how um, we're able to take so many uh, avenues to learn within university mm -hmm. um, and um, being able to find that passion or that topic that we're passionate about and um, really, you know, be able to relate it to our everyday life in order to figure out something new that we didn't know before yeah. or continue to build on something. Yeah. Um, so that uh, leads me into my next question. So as someone who's been involved in um, the areas of biomaterials, biomaterials and devices, imaging, sensing and detection, interdisciplinary, nano and micro, smart materials and devices, all of these various topics, um, being able to manage all of these passions alongside teaching, mm -hmm. truly incredible. Uh, how are you able to stay up to date with all of these things in your life on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, I think that's a really, really great question. It's, it's very hard to stay up to date. Um, there are lots of new developments coming out every day. Uh, the number of journals that exist is multiplying, right, very rapidly. And so it's really, really hard to, to keep track of, of everything that's, that's happening, right? And even though I receive the daily alerts from the journals that I follow and that are in my field, mm -hmm. I more and more rely on my students. And my students are the ones that keep an ear to the ground to, you know, bring up to my attention mm -hmm. new projects or new publications that might be of interest that maybe relate to something that we're doing or complement or build on something that we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that having, you know, a good network of people that you can have productive discussions, scientific discussions, like graduate students, undergraduate students, as well as colleagues, it's incredibly important uh, to stay up to date. And I think that nowadays with, you know, Twitter, Facebook and all these platforms, it makes it a bit easier to see, you know, what people are working on even before things are printed. And so that has also helped uh, and it helps stay up to date. For sure. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned, um, you know, if for especially social media. So um, on one hand, as you mentioned, thousands of journals are probably being published, you know, within a month, dozens every day that are all, you know, relevant topics. Um, but it's very interesting to see how you're able to use social media. The one thing that's already presenting you with the problem, hey, so many journals, but you use it to network with people who can keep up to date with those journals. And um, the connection you have with your students is also really amazing and how they're hardworking and being able to achieve such successful results under uh, your research group. Um, so just a question uh, that uh, I had mm -hmm. was uh, when you originally entered the field of chemistry and, and in particular nanotechnology, what was it that interested you most about this field? Yeah, so I, I came to the field of chemistry sort of in a roundabout way because my uh, undergraduate education was in engineering physics mm -hmm. with a minor in biotechnology and then I did a master's in biotechnology and then I decided to go back to applied physics uh, for my PhD. And so I was mostly on the applied sciences, engineering, bio interface. Uh, during my postdoc, I did a switch and I went to a lab that was doing development of biofuels uh, from plant materials. And so there I was exposed to a lot of uh, analytical techniques. And so really, uh, when I came to chemistry, it was really through the analytical technique side and the interdisciplinary background that I had uh, built. And in particular, nanotechnology attracted me uh, when I was in high school because I started reading some uh, popular science magazines where they were talking about nanotechnology being the next big thing. Mm -hmm. And then one of the papers that caught my attention uh, was a paper 
by Harold Crahit, who was a pioneer, or is a pioneer of uh, nanobiotechnology, mm-hmm. um, where they were making these pillar structures on the micron scale, and they were using these pillars to guide the growth of neurons, oh, and okay. then to try to regenerate uh, neural connections in severed spines. And so that really inspired me because I thought, you know, if you can control how cells move and how cells communicate, it's a very powerful tool. For sure. And so when I did my PhD, I approached this professor um, and he uh, welcomed me to visit Cornell. And that's how I ended up doing my PhD with him. Uh, So I talked to some of his graduate students that were working on these projects. And I thought, you know, this is something that's really interesting. So this is something that I would like to, to explore. And obviously, we haven't solved the problems, right? We're still trying to understand how cells interact with uh, micro nanostructured materials. Um, But that's where it all started for me. That's incredible. And yeah, it's amazing to see how it's been able to push you to, you know, be able to form your own group now and give that same opportunity and give back in a way to students as well, which is really nice. Um, So my final question is, uh, what do you believe the next steps are for um, your research group? You've already achieved a lot of success in your studies. Um, um, in your opinion, when it comes to continuing your goal of utilizing surface chemistry, micro and nanofabrication to create these functional materials, um, what is the next steps? And are there any other current projects that you're excited about or maybe looking forward to? Yeah, I think that, well, over the last couple of years, we've been switching our research focus a little bit towards more sustainable materials. And mm-hmm. so now we're looking at nano materials that are derived from nature. So taking plant materials and making these nanofibers and nanocrystals that we can then use to design different materials and materials that can be used to replace some of the fossil fuel derived materials like plastics. Or Those are some of the um, areas where I'm most uh, interested in mm-hmm. because we've also developed some chemistry that we can use to modify the surface of these nanomaterials to make them functional or compatible with other things that they're not usually compatible in. And one project that I'm particularly excited about is uh, using these renewable materials, bio-based materials, to create 3D printing inks. And so 3D printing inks that can you know, be used to make different kinds of of surfaces. They can be used for tissue engineering, they could be used for environmental remediation. Uh, And so I think that the nexus of nanotechnology and renewable materials and sustainability is going to be a very exciting area in the future. For sure. And it's something that's also very relevant um, with all the issues we're facing. Um, So certainly that'll be very interesting and amazing to see as it goes on. Um, That concludes this week's segment for Scientist of the Week. Thank you very much for joining us today, Professor, on Sci-Section, and it has been a pleasure having you. Thank Um, you very much, Omar. Yeah, thank you. And for all of our listeners, be sure to tune in next week for our next segment. Thank you.